I don't think a lot of us actually as entrepreneurs and leaders had this perfectly straight line in our careers. I think that we've had a lot of circumstantial, really interesting opportunities that lead us to where we are. And so let me back up. So rewind many years ago, I'm dating myself back in 2008. I was in the middle of starting the pursuit of a PhD in linguistic anthropology and the market crashed. And so I had a professor that looked at me and was like, listen, we love you. We know you're super excited about this field of study. There's no way in hell you're going to get a job as a professor in the next 10 years in this economy. Go leave academia, get a job, come back, pay off after you paid off your debt. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Hey, welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. Uh, you got with you today the Knucklehead, and uh, I'm actually excited to have Kate. Um, Dilio. I say that right? That's right. Okay, you did. Good. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> Kate, I appreciate you. I appreciate you blocking some time with us. So um obviously this is Knucklehead Podcast. This is not Guy Raz, how I built this. This is not uh this is not a, a heavily, a heavily pre-produced uh podcast brought to you by, you know, the folks who uh who produce you know office ladies or all of the, all the idiosyncrasies associated with uh, large tech, large media platforms that are out there. This is how, how you screwed, how you screwed up and how uh, business mistakes can end up costing you time and money. But mm-hmm. those time and money uh, mistakes actually end up, they coming out in the end, they actually end up coming out in the end in terms of lessons. You, they, you can, you can learn from them. Uh, you can apply those lessons learned uh, in order to save yourself some time and money going forward. So Okay, I guess let's let's jump right in. Let's, let's, let's start. With, let's, let's start a little bit with um, how you became a an accidental brand strategist, and then oh yeah. and then how did you parlay that in order to become a best selling author? That's uh, that's fascinating. I have no idea. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, but honestly, people ask me, how did you become a brand strategist? How did you get here? I have no clue. I did not intend on doing this with my life. I don't think a lot of us actually as entrepreneurs and leaders had this perfectly straight line Um, in our careers. I think that we've had a lot of circumstantial, really interesting opportunities that lead us to where we are. And for me, that was specifically going from academia into sales and then into branding. So let me back up. So rewind many years ago, I'm dating myself back in 2008. I was in the middle of starting the pursuit of a PhD in linguistic anthropology, which is really the study of how language shapes culture and how culture shapes language. And the market crashed. And so I had a professor that looked at me and was like, listen, we love you. We know you're super excited about this field of study. There's no way in hell you're going to get a job as a professor in the next 10 years in this economy. Go leave academia, get a job, come back, pay off after you paid off your debt. Now, of course, my Italian father was like, please, for the love of God, leave my house and get a job. We love you so much. Bye bye. So I actually left academia and got the stupidest sales job you could take. And that's where my career in branding began. I took a job cold calling IT professionals to sell them $2,500 training classes. Like individuals? You, you sold that's like dumb. individuals? Oh, wow. Yes. That's, a, that's a heavy, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a heavy outbound <laughs> call volume right there. Let me tell you, right? And they give you all your scripts and they're like, hey, smile and dial 40 to 60 dials a day and track your leads and we'll subscribe your database of 10,000 people to a drip marketing campaign and good luck, you know? And I'm in my 20s and I'm like, I I can do this. And then I realized quickly, no IT person wants to be called, let alone sold to. 
So I chose the wrong sales job, but it was in that stupid decision that so I thought that I learned the art of branding and that actually pulled me into my career. What happened was is all the sales scripts that they gave me were absolute junk. And I was like, well, I'm going to be out of a job before I get my first paycheck. If I keep using this stuff, I got to figure out how to like make some noise here and get people to stay on the phone. So what I did, Stephen, is I threw out the scripts and I reverse engineered thinking about what would I want to hear if I were other, on the other end of this phone call to remotely want to stay on and have a conversation. And I texted out. So you, I got to stop you right there. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. You, you had this novel. So you study, you wanted to study, first of all, it's fascinating the way that you, I don't want to say you glossed over, but you talked about how language influence culture, that was something that you were interested in or wanted to study. There's so many uh, applications of that principle in itself going on in today's culture because yeah. of cancel culture, people's you know imagination, thinking that they can restrict distribution of content in an ever connected, probably the most yes. connected community um, most connected it's, it's ever really been. And if you can restrict what somebody is able to say, or just restrict the distribution component, you're actually going to have it be quieter. It, it's fascinating. Bad ideas are bad ideas. People come up with bad ideas all the time. Doesn't necessarily mean they're, you know, they're popular and sometimes bad ideas are popular. And that's, what's horrible about it. Well, it's funny because I didn't fall too far from the tree in the sense that, you know, here I am doing branding work for a living, which means I sit on the messaging side. So what the work that I do as a consultant and actually as a tech founder with my tech product, which is geared for founders and marketers, is the art and science of writing brand. And well, what is brand? Brand is the promise of who we say we are and the value we deliver. So it's language and it's the power of language that ultimately the goal of your brand is to be what? The path of least resistance to revenue. What do I authentically deliver in such a way that it naturally provokes that other person to want to come to the table and, and take the next step? That's what brand's supposed to do. But if you rewind, I had no idea that what I was testing out on the sales phone call just to make my dang quota was brand. All I did was I thought, well, let me call these people up and just tell them, hi, my name's Kate. Here's what we do. Here's how we solve your problem. Here's how we're different. And then I'd shut up. And it worked. And I realized I was onto something that I was giving people the right information that made them want to go, yes, tell me more, or hey, I'm in the middle of something, but can you send me an email? Or not right now, call me back in six months. That was the beginning. I ended up running 1.2 million a year in a sales quota over 100%. And I got recruited to go write brand. Interesting. That was the beginning. When you say go write brand, for those of us who haven't worked in the formalized marketing uh, industry and understand the idiosyncrasies associated with all the different sales yeah. motions, global campaign managers, help us understand those of, those of us who are knuckle dragon sales folks like myself. So, you know, we just talk to people and perhaps send them an email from time to time and try not to make it a novel and, and have people respond. I'm, I'm teasing a little bit, but it, you, you, you get what I'm saying. Help me understand the formalized yep. uh, marketing elements of, of, uh, of that transition away from sales now into what you're doing. Well, it's funny because my first transition was writing sales scripts, brand scripts that the salesperson used on the phone call. What did they say in the first 15 seconds? We have to remember that brand is the first 15 seconds of any conversation, sales or marketing conversation, meaning it's the homepage of your website. It's the first five seconds in an ad. It's the lead in for your email. It's what do you say in the Zoom room? You walk into a conference and you shake somebody's hand. And it's the first few things that somebody wants to know. Your brand pitch 
is three big things. And I teach it. I call it the brand trifecta, but really it's based off sales psychology, which is what you do, how you solve somebody's problem, and how you're different. It's kind of like the one, two, three punch. Now, in marketing terms, I didn't know this, but the way that that shapes up in messaging, Stephen, is tagline. Tell me what you do. Tagline. Tell me how you solve my problem. That's called a value proposition statement in marketing lingo. And tell me how you're different. The one, two, three, four big bullets of how you're different and better than the competition, right? So it's those things in that order from a messaging structure that make up any fantastic brand or sales pitch when you walk in the room. It's the stuff that gets the other person in that conversation to go, now that's interesting. Yeah. So how does that work? What does that look like? There's, yeah, that's the way that you've been able to extract what I would call maybe inflection points in those 15 seconds is uh, it's fascinating. I'd love to understand a little bit more about the the technology product that you, sure. that you sell, because I'm, I know that people uh, who listen to this podcast and folks who actually share some of the micro content, they, you know, they like to be able to look at those types of things in the show notes. So we'll, we'll yeah. touch on that in just a second. So, sure. <clears throat> excuse me. So the, the question that I have is a lot of times in small business, depending upon if it's a product or service-based business, most service-based businesses that are kind of regionally competent who mm -hmm. could use some, you know, some assistance, continuity between kind of what the, the person doing door knocking is doing or the person who's going to be uh, walking somebody through the sales or implementation project management right. process. Help, help me understand how you operationalize that for, for you know, for that type of, of business or maybe where you've you've experienced some pain when it comes to implementation and what you learned uh, along the way, because this is knucklehead, by the way. Well, y'all, I'll tell you what I learned early on. So if my, my business, by the way, I started off really as a consultant for years. So just as a clear clarity, like, so I got recruited out. I worked in the agency world and then I worked in corporate America and I started side hustling. <laughs> so I was just selling brand on the side and I was like, I'll do a brand for you. I'll do a brand for you. And then about five years ago, I took it full time as a consultant. And so now to date as a consultant before the tech company, I launched that. I worked with over 350 companies to take them through my entire consulting program. Okay. And then I wrote the book on the practice. Okay. And then we've got thousands of clients on the tech side, but here's the deal. What I realized the biggest downfall that I used to make early on is I would go write brand with marketing and marketing only. That is the dumbest thing ever because brand is held by not only marketing, but the C-suite team or that founder and sales. And so now I'll never take a project unless I have sales leadership in that room and the founder in that room, because ultimately what marketers also need to understand, and I preach this constantly, is marketers, you're in charge of revenue as much as the sales team is or as much as that founder is. But the reality is that you can't have brands sitting in one silo. Brand is the glue, it's the backbone that actually holds those sections of the organization together. It's the singular message that everybody is speaking in the organization what we do, how we solve our customers' problems, how we're different. So for me, the biggest pitfall that I had to learn is I can't go write this in a box. I can't write it by myself. I can't go write it with just marketing. You've got to have sales at the table and you've got to have C-suite leadership at the table or it will fail. So I got to, I want to, I kind of want to dig a little bit here, but at the same time, I want to start, start it by sharing where, where we screwed up. So, you know, Knucklehead is a, is a podcast that I started building and scaling sales teams, just talking about the frustration that I felt um, there was a lack of continuity between, you know, the the customer we were trying to go and transact and convert, uh, excuse me, transact with and convert 
Right. And the the operational support that we receive from functions like HR, yep. you know, something along those lines. Because, you know, when you have wet behind the ears uh, sales folks who need to understand process and, and uh, you know, there's there's merit to just going ahead and and uh, being creative through each one of those steps of the sales process, um, it's a different type of person than wants to follow rules or be in compliance like what, what yes. HR is. It's a completely different persona. So I got frustrated with this kind of sanitized version of sales training uh, that we were getting. And I, I was like, no, let's let's talk about some reality here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and thus that was born uh, Knucklehead Podcast. And when we started podcasting as a service for Knucklehead Media Group, um, the value proposition was always confusing to me. I mean, what are we doing? Are we converting new leads? Are we just making, you know, making, making um, more people aware of, of of a service where where somebody didn't know it before? And we worked with uh, a few brand folks. Uh, Eric Bakey comes to mind. Uh, great podcast. You can go back and listen to or like early episodes, fifty or sixty. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, he brands himself the Combat Imagineer, and you know he, he gave us that tagline of. You know, we bring dead leads to life through podcasting. Yep. However, what we're finding is the the volume of of inbound traffic, you know, on people's websites when it comes to digital was significantly different than the folks who were paying attention to your podcast. And the folks who were paying attention to your podcast don't necessarily want to necessarily do business with you. Sometimes they're just entertained. They're just entertained by you and they they like that. There's nothing wrong with that. You can build that. But as you build that audience, you're, you're going to come to this inflection point where people are going to want to start doing more business with you. Correct. However, we were toggling with different tactics that just weren't leading to bringing dead leads to life. And uh, the founder of like the, one of the tech companies that we were doing business with was like, called us out on it. Like he was like, yeah. what are you doing? How many customers are you bringing me with this project? And we were like, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I can't, I don't know. Like it was, it was very difficult. So that I, I ask you that because there is a time where you're going to go, you're going to either be called, uh, asked to, uh, ask, how can you attribute, you know, given your tool. And do you have any times where somebody asked you and, you and you didn't have an answer or they maybe they didn't follow the process properly or any kind of difficult times where oh, yeah. you, you kind of felt like that was that was hard to do? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think what, some of the biggest pitfalls is, I, you know, you can lead a horse to water in terms of my program, which was like super robust and the tech program. But I'm constantly telling them, like, if you do not get this into the world as quickly as possible, if you do not get sales aligned, if you do not build sales scripts off of this to operationalize this, meaning and operationalizing a brand means giving people the bullet points that they speak to on a phone call. Do they know how to hit the bullet points in an everyday conversation? Is it in a one pager for your sales team? How about in the first five slides of the pitch deck? Like, do you have sales armed with what they need so that they can clearly hit this while also knowing, by the way, that the sale, the personality and the character of a salesperson is you have to give them freedom to move around that. So I always say give them bullets because they're going to personalize this. They're really genius. Sales are genius at being able to read that other party and make it their own. And you need to also understand that marketing can't expect sales to follow every single word verbatim. Let your website be perfect. That's great. But if sales knows to hit the five big bullet points that kind of flow with the main outline on the homepage, that is a that is a home run, in my opinion. So that's operationalizing it. So the continuity. 100%. The continuity between the those messages. And when I get teams that all they want to do is just 
deploy this through ads, but they're not willing to give sales what they need. That is the number one pitfall I see and why they cannot come back to me and say, well, you said brand can impact revenue. And I said, absolutely. The clients of mine who actually deploy this with sales, in alignment with sales, see a direct impact on, if they're B2B, sales cycle, number of qualified prospects to the table, and revenue. If they're B2C and in an e-com situation, Stephen, they directly see an impact in conversion rate, shopping cart abandonment, but actually time on site, believe it or not. And I know the metrics that we track time and time out, but the number one pitfall on my end was not coaching and pushing my clients enough to say, you will fail if you do not work with sales and get this into the world within a couple weeks, not a couple months. Can you give them a Word document? Can you print and, la and laminate this and send it to everybody in your team? It's fascinating to think about that speed to market just to get that feedback from, yes. uh, you know, from, uh, I don't want to call them K the KPIs that you, you know, what works, you know, what to yeah. go and measure. Um, and so that's, that's interesting. So, all right, you started in sales accidentally yes. after studying, uh, anthropology, linguistics, did you say linguistics? Yeah. Linguistic anthropology. Anthropology. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you have that level of, uh, when you have that level of interest in a topic like that, it, I, I haven't talked with very many people who are studying li linguistics, first of all. Second of all, the combination of that and anthropology, it's fascinating. Um, like how, how did you keep yourself, how'd you keep yourself focused? Was it the constant, was it the constant learning? I mean, you started something new coming right out of, out of a kind of an institutional learning environment. Sure. And I mean, constant learning is kind of how I've, I'm hearing your progression over the last 10 years. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's kind of what I'm hearing. It is. The progression for me was staying extremely curious. Curiosity is one of my core values. Um, resilience and curiosity are two core values that I hold dear. Um, and then generosity. Mother of four. Surprise, surprise. Resilience. That makes sense. Resilience. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was telling you earlier, keep yourself alive and keep those kids alive after five o'clock. Right. Oh, my that's gosh. Right. So I think, you know, resilience and curiosity and gratitude have served me really well. And for me, what that has looked like in my career is never being afraid to go ask questions of leadership. You know, even when I was in corporate America, I was adamant about learning other sides of the business. They hired me for brand and I would go sit with operations. They hired me for sales and I'd go poke holes with HR. Well, why do you do that? And they get so annoyed at first until they started to see that I was advocating for them. Until they started to see that I was improving my solutions that had their best interest in mind. And what that did for me is I started to create this pattern where I was recognizing this is really my lane of genius. And all of a sudden I began to figure out how do I productize my genius through my consulting on the side, then the book, and then the tech product. But I had to discover that as a byproduct of actually working through the pattern of what made me so good at what I did. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's, let's talk real quick about the, the tech product sure. and and how that works and then tell people you know how to go find each one of those three that you were talking do you still do all three or do you just still i do okay. yeah um, i do i i'm i'm you know being a mom of four i take less consulting projects than i used to um sure. and i still have my book out there and all of this you can find on my website which is katedeleo.com but the product is called the brand trifecta so remember when i said that there's that one two three punch that i teach this is what I'm known for, which is really how do you systematically write the three messaging components that bring your audience to that conversion moment? How do you create brand conversations that convert? 
In fact, how do you get out of this storytelling stuff that's like, I'm just inundating people with info, which I think is stupid. Nobody wants to hear that. Business is a conversation. So how do we create brand as a conversation that allows a sales or marketing person or a founder to opt in and allow their audience to opt into that conversation? So the product actually takes you through the art and science of building that target audience definition, the interesting stuff around tone of voice and personality. But then how do you actually write it? Because most of us are great leaders, but nobody taught us how to write a brand. And my sweet spot is actually teaching that skill to you so that you don't have to come in as an expert, as a writer. You're going to come through that program with a really beautifully written brand message that you can immediately implement. You got it. So the the tech product, just to, to get specific, Dan, is it a is it a writing tool? Because, I mean, I'm a Knuckle Dragon Marine. Uh, Knuckle Dragon sales guy. It's an interactive brand platform that takes you through eight sessions okay. that you go through using interactive content and resources. And every single session, you're going to come out with the right outputs for your brand and your message. And your deliverable is a 10 to 20 page brand in a playbook. Very cool. Which is awesome. Very cool. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. So um, is there an opportunity for folks that, that work within the context of your platform to engage either one of your consultants or you as a consultant yourself for implementation? Or is this a, a done for you playbook that people can you know press repeat and just go do it themselves? They can actually go do it themselves. They can reach out to me if they'd like to consult. But what I have found is most small to mid-sized companies may already have some folks that they really trust. And so it's not about me having them call me for consulting. It's more about, listen, you've got a marketing partner. You've got that next step in line, which is great. I got my message. I need to update my website. Go to them. Go to the next step. Go get the site done. Go get your materials built. I have a whole partner network that people can check out as well if they're like, Who, who's well-priced and does really good work. I've got that as well in case people are looking for good providers. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you you jumping in, yeah. sharing some of the pain of implementation, <laughs> which which does. I mean, you, you know, unless you're willing to go out there and kind of what I call kind of get your nose bloodied a little bit and realize that you're not made of glass, you're going to be fine. Dust yourself off. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, if you're not making mistakes, you're not necessarily trying hard enough. Or you're not 100%. taking risks. And so, you know, a byproduct of taking those risks is some of the some of the blowback that you get when things don't go well. But it also helps you, you know, fail fast forward um, and, and you know and get to those get to that next step. So, Kate, I appreciate you taking some time. Thank you. Real quick, you you had mentioned a website. Yes. Uh, is that where folks can go find each one of those three right. uh, avenues to engage? That's right. www.katedelio.com, and you can certainly find me on LinkedIn. There you go. All right. Well, those of you who have questions about anything else, uh, check the show notes or go check out the social media content and we'll go from there. So anyway, Kate, I appreciate you taking some time. Thank you so much for coming on to uh, Knucklehead Podcast, uh, where you learn how to screw up. You learn what screwed up and how you can apply it going forward. So appreciate you. Uh, for those of you who like listening, stay tuned to your podcast platform. If you're not subscribed, go ahead and subscribe, leave a review. Uh, appreciate that. Talk soon, y'all. Out here.